The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of Parking the Bus. This is episode 41, and it is a very special episode. I am coming to you right now, my friends. It is 1.20 a.m. here on the east coast of the United States, and why am I recording at this time on a Monday morning? Well, that is because CONCACAF decides that it's a good... They decide to play this... This CONCACAF Nations League final uh, in the Mountain Time Zone. And here on the East Coast, it is very late. But CBS Sports and to the NA have just gone off the air. The United States men's national team has won the inaugural edition of the CONCACAF Nations League. And I've just watched one of the most enjoyable football matches I have seen in a very, very long time. I know I said this not that long ago about another match, but it was it was absolutely um, it was just absolutely enjoyable and fun to watch these two teams go at it. A classic rivalry match. It had everything you could want in a rivalry match. We had goals, we had penalties, we had bar, we had pitch invasions by the supporters, we had beer thrown from the stands. We had players shushing the crowd. We had another, another just absolutely um, partisan pro-Mexico crowd here in the United States. It's all part of what makes this rivalry special. And, uh, well, this this match I think is going to go down as one of the memorable ones, especially if you're a fan of the Stars and Stripes, the USA Big Big win for this young United States side. I will not. Let me just say right now, I need to get this off my chest before we go any further with this episode. I, we live in, in a world now where we talk all the time about cancel culture. I want to cancel something. I'm going to cancel the acronym USMNT. I hate that stupid acronym. It's the US. Or the USA or the United States. You don't put MNT on the end of any other national team. You you shouldn't be putting WNT on the women's national. They are the USA, the United States of America. Both teams represent the United States of America. Stop. 
stop with this media circus and this this just effort to divide the football fans in, in the United States into men's fans against women's fans. There is media and there is politics behind the scenes pitting play or trying to pit players and supporters against each other. Remember USSF's motto, one nation, one team. One in, one T. Hashtag. Stop with the acronym USMNT. Stop USWMNT. Sorry, WNT. They are all USA. Okay, that's off my chest. Um, Another thing I got to get off my chest before we break down this match. Mexico. Now listen. If you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I follow Mexican football. You know that I love Liga MX. So you shouldn't be surprised when I say that I'm fairly familiar with this team. And um, honestly, I, 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 you know, yes, I, I am an American and I wanted the United States to win this game. But I, I like Mexico. I don't get into this hate in this rivalry. During the 90 minutes, I get really into it. I don't like a lot of the antics that go into this rivalry. I don't like the insults back and forth. It's petulant from both fan bases. But I got a shot to fire across the bow. Mako, you guys are L3. I posted this on Facebook. L3. Okay. You have one of the great kits in world football. I love the three-color, three-color kit. Green, white, red. The colors of your flag. Why are you always wearing these hideous black and fluorescent, or in this case, black and fuchsia kits? I want to cancel Mexico's black kits as well as the acronym USMNT. That's what I'm canceling tonight, all right? I announce it right here on this platform. I am canceling those two things, all right? I'm also canceling the chant, and that's as far as I'm going to refer to it. Of course, we're talking about Mexico. I'm not giving that any more of a mention on these airwaves, on this platform, okay? Because that chant does not even deserve, does not even deserve to be given a voice, okay? So let it be said right now, okay? It is it is obvious it, one day it's going to cost Mexico a match. It's not going to cost them a fine. It's going to cost them a forfeit at some point if they don't stop. So please Mexico fans, stop. Stop. Okay? Just enough. Mexico's fans? Okay, aside from that, okay? Disappointed with with them. You know why? You have the majority in the crowd. Okay, not no songs being sung. No, no, no supporter culture at all coming from the stands from the supporters of L3. All I hear are the very simple, si, si, puede, si, si, puede. Or, Mexico, Mexico. Or, Ochoa, Ochoa. Okay, come on. Mexico, do better. Tiene que ser mejor. You got to be better than that. Come on. If you're going to come into the United States and fill 
and I don't mean come in like that. I mean, if you're going to go into a stadium, into the United States, against the United States, and make it your home stadium, which, bravo to you for doing that. Okay, I applaud that. You got to represent way better than that in the stands. Come on now. The much smaller U.S. fan base was heard singing. You all were heard just making simple chants. Are you really football supporters or do you just go to these games? Do you just make these simple chants? Mexico, Mexico. Come on, you can do better than that, Mexican football fans. I know you can. Okay? I know you can do better than that. All right? That is that is my piece there. Um, let, let's quickly break down how we got to this point, how we got to... I'm going to call it Mile High Stadium because I do not use corporate names as much as I can avoid it. When it comes to stadium naming rights, I, I just don't I don't even remember and can't keep up with what corporation purchases what what uh, naming rights at what stadium. So it's Mile High Stadium as far as I'm concerned, Denver, Colorado. But first, how did we get here? So we got CONCACAF Nations League. This competition started way back. I'm going to give you the date of where it started, all right? I'm going to scroll back. This competition started back on Thursday, September the 5th, 2019, okay? And we had a group stage. Group 1, USA, Canada, and Cuba. United States and Canada each with nine points. Remember, they they split their series and both beat Cuba, uh, causing Cuba to be relegated to League B of... Of this CONCACAF Nations League. This runs in the same exact format as the UEFA Nations League in Europe. And I'm going to say it has a very similar outcome in the case. It's that it started off as something like, eh, whatever. And I think by the final, you said, you know what? this We might be onto something here. That's how I feel. And I'll get to that as we get through the match. I'll tell you what I was feeling, what my initial feelings were, and how my, my feelings and my emotions changed over the course of tonight's 120 minutes. So... Uh, United States in Group 1, they're the winners on goal difference. They had a plus 12 goal difference, while Canada plus 6. USA with 15 goals, 4-3 against, while Canada 10-4, 4 4 against. And that's so the United States qualifies for these finals, as they call them. I'm going to call it the Final Four. Um, The United States group winners, and they they qualify. Mexico in Group 2. Won all four matches. They played against Panama and Bermuda. So Mexico qualifying for the finals as well. Group three was Honduras, Martinique, and Trinidad and Tobago. I'm not going to get into the fact that Martinique is not a country, yet they're competing in CONCACAF, even though they're not eligible to play in FIFA competitions. Whole nother CONCACAFian just... Bizarro world kind of thing that happens only in CONCACAF. And, um, you know, CONCACAF is a verb. And I said, <laughs> I'll get into it. But I said that this match, was someone was going to get concacaf tonight. And, uh, well, this match had all the concacaf you can imagine. But Honduras wins that group. Three wins and a draw. Uh, Martinique gets second, even though they are a part of France. And they... Play the French national anthem, La Mercedes, before their matches. Trinidad and Tobago come last with two points. Group four, Costa Rica, Curaçao, and Haiti. And that came down to 
the final day. Uh, four matches played. Con- uh, Costa Rica qualifying for the finals despite only winning one match in the group stage. One win, three draws for Costa Rica, giving them six points, while Curaçao had one win, two draws, and a defeat. Haiti with no wins and three draws and a defeat. So that was an evenly matched group, you could say. So Costa Rica, Honduras, United States, and Mexico in the finals. All right. And let's now go to the semifinals of this competition, which took place earlier this week. Took place on Thursday in a doubleheader. And uh, we had the first one. It was the United States taking on Honduras. Honduras. And as you know now, it was a 1-0 victory for the United States in that one. Uh, Goal scored by, I don't want to get this player's name wrong. He goes by a different name than what he's listed at. So give me just one moment to bring up his name. I want to say it correctly. I want to use the name he prefers to use. So just give me one moment here and I will give you his correct name. And he is uh, Theosin and he goes by Pefik. Okay, so I'm gonna use, I'm gonna refer to him as Pefik, American player, new U.S. international, 25 years old, native of Washington D.C. Plays his club football for young boys in the Swiss league, and um, he gets the goal in the semifinal in the 89th minute that books the United States a place in the final, and then shortly thereafter, in the second half of that doubleheader at Mile High Stadium, it was. Mexico taking on Costa Rica, and this match went the 90 minutes without a goal, and that took it to penalties, which in the end, uh, it would be won by Mexico 5-4 on penalties. So that brings us to tonight's matchup, USA versus Mexico for the CONCACAF Nations League title. The first one, I said this, you can roll this podcast feed all the way back. In an episode that I titled Mr. Portugal, episode one, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was episode two. Uh, It's also got the subtitle of UEFA Nations League. Okay, I said this back then in 2019, or was it 17? It was 2017, or was it 19? Whenever it was, it was 2019. Now that I think of it, it was 2019. And I said that I felt... That this Nations League may we may be on to something here. I, I the biggest tournament in Europe, the Euro, started off essentially as what the Nations League is again. Okay, it started off with small, you know, rounds all the way to a fourteen final stage, which was a semi and a final. And I said when Portugal won the UEFA Nations League, okay, that you only get one opportunity to be the first winner of a competition i'm gonna say it again in the fall when we kick off the uefa uh, conference league okay you only get one chance to be the first and tonight the united states played like they wanted to be the first now they didn't play perfect football they didn't outplay mexico they didn't play pretty they didn't do a lot of the things that they tend to like to do but they found a way, and this was a big, big night for this group of players, okay? We need to understand that 
It's been made clear. If you look what's going on and you look at the setup in this national team, and I I think I've yet to talk about the United States national team on this podcast. We're at episode 41, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've talked about the United States national team. One, because I don't get into the friendlies. The United States has such a big player pool that majority of these friendlies have no no point to me because they're using player they're weeding out players uh if if even using anyone that's in the plans at all they give a lot of guys caps i mean you have internationals with all mls sides you have internationals with all europe based sides you have players playing in mexico who kind of get caught in the shuffle sometimes lost in the shuffle and um I've, I think I'm pretty sure I've I've never talked about the United States national team on this podcast. I think this is the first. And there's a reason for that, like I just said. And this was the first opportunity to actually see Greg Berhalter's national team in a competitive environment in this Final Four. Okay, they didn't take the group stage all that seriously. They lost to Canada in the group stage, and I watched that, and I felt that Canada deserved to win that game at BMO Field. Okay, they managed to win the home leg and win, like I said, on goal di- on goal difference. They managed to advance, but this for me was the first test of everything Greg Berhalter has been doing since his appointment, since he was hired, and he's not, you know, devoid of of criticism. I think there's very valid criticism of what he's been doing and what he's doing. However, tonight I think we saw. That he that this team is on a journey. They're on a path. And I truly believe what I'm about to say. I believe it so much so that I'm willing to to say it here. And I'm willing to to say mark my words because I truly believe and the actions of this team and this federation seem to support this this hypothesis I have. The goal of U.S. soccer, the goal of Greg Berhalter is not the 2022 World Cup. He is building for 2026 for the World Cup that will be hosted here in the United States on home soil. Honestly, this U.S. team suffers from the fact that there is no true under-21 or under-23 football in CONCACAF. Don't give me the CONCACAF pre-Olympic tournament. That's one week out of a four-year window. Okay. No, what needs to happen in CONCACAF, honestly, is what you have in Europe where, and again, I know this makes me sound like a Euro snob and I come across that, but hear me out. In Europe, U21 teams play in every international window. You have a chance to build a U21, you know, to build a national team that way. A large portion of this U.S. men's national team belongs in a U21 or U23 setup. Not under the way it works in CONCACAF where they go to one tournament without having played together. Okay, since they were U20s at least. But playing together each and every international window. This team lacks cohesion tonight. They gutted this win out. Okay, they lack cohesion. They faced an older, more experienced Mexican side. They came together. And I think they gained cohesion. But you can see that there's a disconnect between a lot of these players. Yes, they are all very talented. But they need time together as a team. And it's not going to be by playing friendlies. It's got to be in competitive matches. And I, I believe that it should be 
at the U21 or U23 level in actual an actual U23 national team. The way it's done now in CONCACAF, it's more of an all-star team or a selection that comes together once every four years for a tournament, hoping to qualify for another tournament. And that's why I don't put much stock in the Olympics, okay? I don't put much stock in qualifying for the Olympics. What What these players got tonight was far more valuable than what they would get in Tokyo a month and a half from now. I true I I will stand by that. Okay, you can disagree, but that is where I stand and I will I will put my name on that statement and you can quote me on it. And I think that Burhalter brought them into the national team young. Okay, you got guys that are very young in this national team. And he's trying to include them. And he's trying to build a team for 2026. And I think tonight the journey to 2026 begins. I think the 2022 World Cup, I expect this team to qualify. What happened last time was was a bit of a fluke. Regardless of how poorly they played, not qualifying out of CONCACAF is highly unlikely. Okay? Yes, there's going to be some tough matches on the road. And these guys have a lot to learn still about playing in CONCACAF. But, but. Tonight, I think they started the journey. A journey that should go through the 2022 World Cup, but the ultimate destination is 2026. There was a lot I didn't like in this match, but there, what really the impression I'm left with at the end of it, after the emotional roller coaster, is that this team grew an identity tonight. Tonight, you know who the leaders are on this team. Christian Pulisic delivered when it mattered. Okay, everybody, and and I can't even imagine how fatigued this guy is right now. Um, but he gutted it out. They did. They played anything but perfect or anything but pretty. Weston McKinney is a boss on this team. Gio Reyna stepped up. He is eighteen years old, and he took he took his role and he he raised his game tonight. He didn't back down from the older, more experienced opponent. Rival. Sergino Dest had a tough night. But there's a lot of promise there. He even showed glimpses. He was played out of position in my opinion. That they, that didn't go as planned. The Sergino Dest uh, left wing back. He ended up playing much more as a left midfielder. It became a lot more of a 4-4-2. Not, I don't, not by design. I think it just kind of grew into that for some reason. Um... Mexico's early goal has a lot to do with that, and we'll get into that shortly. But uh, just John Brooks. How about John Brooks? There's a group on Facebook I have to call out right now, the fans of Major League Soccer. I know some of the people in there. Um, I saw things in that group like, why is John Brooks still on this team? Are you kidding me? John Brooks is 28 years old. He is in the prime of his career. He just made over 30 appearances in the Bundesliga. Led his team, led his back line to Champions League qualification. And you don't think he belongs in this national team? John Brooks is the best center back for the United States. John Brooks was a giant tonight against Mexico. Erring... Chucky Lozano was a ghost. He was nowhere to be found. John Brooks' partner tonight, Matt McKenzie, sorry, Mark McKenzie, he had a very, very rough night. But John Brooks kept that back line together. Tim Ream 
put in an un- in an unfamiliar role. He he stepped up. I thought yes, he was beaten on the goal by Diego Lainez, but until Diego Lainez came onto the pitch tonight, Tim Ream was solid. Once Diego Lainez came in, well, Tim Ream just doesn't have the ability to defend him one on one. He's too quick, but he was serviceable and. Despite all of the mistakes, all of the miscued passes, all of the turnovers, this team picked themselves up each and every time. And to that, I applaud. This team deserves a an applause tonight. Tonight, I am proud of this American team for the fight, for the character I put on Facebook before this match started. After I ranted about Mexico not playing in green, I said, what I want from this American team is to show some character, some fight, and to show some progress. They did all of that tonight. They delivered. Congratulations, boys. We are proud of you. I'm going to take a break right now. We're going to come back and break down this match, all right, on this special episode 41. This is taking the place of what was planned tonight, which was the Liga Emekis final review plus... A Brasileiro round two show. I had to postpone both of those because this match just uh, demands for its own show. And, well, it kicked off so late that here we are on the verge of 2 a.m. And I am uh, just still in the first segment of this recording. So I'm going to take a quick break here. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. Don't forget, of course, to check out www.parkinthebusmedia.com. You can see old, ep- you can hear old episodes there. Video episodes are there as well. No video on this one. I'm sorry, guys, but with it being almost 2 a.m., the bags under my eyes are just too much to show right now, and um, <laughs> and you know it's it's uh it's going to be audio only for you. But this is fun, and uh, this is my first time talking u.s soccer so i'm i'm excited see i use the word soccer people say i never call it soccer they say i'm a euro snob for calling it football there i just said soccer but uh hopefully this is the first of many times i talk about this team as um i've never really said this but the ultimate goal for this show is that in five years five years from this month to be recording to you from a parking lot or from a hotel room outside a World Cup, you know I want to I want to to cover this team and cover the event that will be the 2026 World Cup. Okay, so this is hopefully the first. I was not able to travel to Denver. I wish I had known in advance that this was going to be in Denver. I could have made arrangements, perhaps. However, I'm not about to fly right now with the state of of travel in this country. But hopefully by the, not this Gold Cup, but the next one in 2023, maybe I can make a trip or two out to a match or to the final and record live from from that host city. But uh, for now, it's, it's from my basement like all these other episodes. And uh, when we get back, I'll give you my thoughts and I'll give you my analysis on this USA-Mexico CONCACAF Nations League final. This is Parking the Bus, episode 41. UEFA Euro 2020 this summer here on the Park in the Bus podcast. And welcome back to Park in the Bus episode 41. Let's get into this match now. We've we've given you all the preamble. 
But, uh, man, it's hard doing this episode tonight because none of these apps, whether it's SofaScore, FopMob, you name it, have much on this match other than the very, very basics. Okay, I don't even have formations. I mean, there were different things going on in this in this match. It doesn't even show, like, formations. It's hard to find uh, even a, a detailed, you know, play-by-play. Uh, -play. Although, I did find on SofaScore here they have a very undetailed... Uh, account but it's got more stuff on it than on on any other app but uh so i'm going with with memory here because uh there are some things i didn't take very good notes exactly and i usually don't you know podcast after watching a match just once but here we go let's go to the lineups we'll start with mexico okay uh Tata Martino comes out. He's got Memo Ochoa in goal, the the Club America goalkeeper. In the back, he's got a center back pairing of Nestor Arojo, I believe is how they pronounce it. I want to say Arojo, but that's because I'm Portuguese. It's it's Arojo is how they pronounce it uh, in Mexico. And he's partnered with Edson Alvarez in the center of defense. And he's got Hector Moreno. And he's got... Uh, Uriel Antuna as as his back line. Okay, um, I'm just gonna read off the the eleven starters. I don't want to misspeak and put somebody in the wrong in the wrong uh, position. So Arojo, uh, Jesus Gallardo is the other left is the left back. Sorry, Jesus Gallardo. You've got Hector Moreno, Luis Rodriguez, Edson Alvarez, Uriel Antuna. Jesus Tecatito Corona, he was the surprise start. I'll get to that in a moment. Hector Herrera, Carlo, Charlie, Carlos Charlie Rodriguez, Erwin Chucky Lozano. Those are the 11 for Mexico. Surprise in this match was that Tecatito Corona was in the starting lineup. Now, Tata Martino did not even train yesterday because he did not want the 11 to get out. He didn't want it to be leaked. He didn't even tell his players who the 11 were until they arrived at the stadium today. And Tecatito was a last-minute decision. Uh, so he replaces Henry Martin in the, the Club America forward in the lineup. And what happens is we're expecting to see Chucky Lozano go down the left side for Mexico. Instead, he gets played in the false nine role. And this worked out about as good for Mexico as the false nine worked for Manchester City and Kevin De Bruyne in the Champions League final. I think they took what was their most dangerous player, put him in a position where he wasn't set up to succeed, where he couldn't use his strength, which is running at people and on the dribble. Uh, you take a guy who's so good going forward with the ball and you make him play back to goal. And that was a big, uh, a big help to the United States tonight. No doubt in um, deciding to play this way. I think Tata Martino is going to have questions to answer about this. I watched post game both on CBS in English and on to the NA in, in Spanish. And, uh, it, you know, you we'll get into what they were saying after. But a lot of criticism on this team that was picked by Tata Martino. Um, they said that what came, became clear after this match is that Mexico is missing a true striker. Uh, Mexico, remember, without Raul Jimenez, without Chicharito, uh, Chicharito Hernandez, without Carlos Bella, among other players. So 
Um, a very not not a full a completely full squad. Mexico. It's important to say that, or perhaps the, this is what what Tata Martino wants to go forward with in this team. But this match pointed out that they are missing that true number nine in the front of their attack. Um, so that was a, a change. And then I'm not used to seeing Tecatito play on the left like that. Tecatito in the Portuguese league plays down the right. So that was an interesting uh, an interesting decision. Now, I know he plays a much more attacking role with Mexico than he does with Porto. And with Porto, he plays more. He's a lot of times a wingback. Um, but yeah, the, the inclusion of of him and the move of sending Chucky Lozano, who is your your biggest name to to the false nine role, I think is something the United States benefited from. So the United States is eleven in this one. Uh Greg Burhalter goes with a five three two formation. Um it was announced as such. Zach Steffen, the Manchester City uh backup keeper, is the starter. And um, he's got three in the in the center of defense. John Brooks in the anchor position. Mark McKenzie to one side. Tim Ream to the other. The right wing back today was DeAndre Yedlin, which was a little bit of a surprise. Everybody before the match in the previews was expecting Reggie Cannon to get the start there. Uh, Greg Berhalter goes with DeAndre Yedlin instead. And Serginho Dest, who played as the right wing back on Thursday, is moved to the left side. However, played in a different role than what we would have expected him to. It it uh, was kind of interesting, and he, he did have a tough night. Double pivot in midfield versus having a holding midfield, and this was a good decision by Berhalter. He partnered up uh, Kellen Acosta with Weston McKinney with with a... It was, I would even say it was more of three attacking midfield um, in front of him. No, it was, you know what, it was more of a... Th- Five two three than it was at or five two one. So yeah, you got you get in the front of that of that triangle. It's now inverted on what it was on Tuesday, on Thursday. Excuse me. So you get you get the double pivot with Christian Pulisic playing in a true number ten role. Uh, Giovanni Reina and Josh Sargent as the two forwards. So actually. Um, it was it was a five three two. Looking at it again, and thinking about how the match was played out, and early on the United States were very very uh, nervous. You could see it, and unfortunately, it happened right right in the first minute where you know Mark McKenzie makes a horrible horrible mistake. I mean, he's one minute in, and he goes to make a lateral a square pass to to DeAndre Yedlin, who's touchline wide. His square pass comes out far too soft, and it goes right into the path of Tecatito Corona, who takes it and with one touch beats everybody inside the box and then puts the ball in the roof of the goal. He beats Zach Steffen to the near post. Hi. And uh, tough. it's a tough ask of your goalkeeper that early in the match, but uh, in the end, Mexico take the lead in the first minute, and you, know, you listen to all the pundits before the match in the pregame. You listen to to the trio of U.S. national team alums that were on CBS, Clint Dempsey, Charlie Davies, Oguchi Onyewu, who the internet is absolutely murdering them right now for for their commentary. Um, I just see them as very, very green, and I think they were just told to be themselves, and that's what they did, and doesn't always translate well on television. 
But when they were talking about the football and talking about the match, I think they did all right. And they said that this has these Mexico games. And it's the same thing. Jimmy Conrad said the same thing on the Que Golazo podcast. You know, Herc and Hercules Gomez has said it on, on Football Americas on ESPN. That these matches have a tendency to get out of hand if Mexico score early. When Mexico score and take a lead, the crowd gets into it. They start with the Olays. And let me tell you, this crowd was was Olaying every backwards pass. <laughs> In in the defensive third by the second minute, and it, it was incredibly ob- obnoxious. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, you have the center back passing to the right back, back to the center back, and they're olaying every time. And I think the United States did a good job of not letting that get to them. But Mexico gets ahead early, and that that will worry any U.S. fan that this match could have gotten out of hand very, very quickly. But the U.S. composes themselves. They continue to make mistakes, however. And a lot of passes miss the mark. A lot of players just not on the same page. There's times Pulisic is doing a a back heel for Sargent, and Sargent isn't there. He's made his run somewhere else. And we, we see that in midfield, too. Kellen Acosta, early on, was losing balls everywhere. He was, he was uh, making... Poor passes, poor decisions, getting the ball pickpocketed right off his foot. The back, the back line was an absolute nightmare. Trying to play out of the back in this early stage. Now, I understand Burhalter wants this 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 style of football, and he's trying. As a coach myself, I get that he's trying to build an identity with this team, and he's trying to actually build an American style. What the ask of him is enormous. You're taking these players who come from all different backgrounds, who play their football in different corners of the world where they apply their trade, and you're trying to come up with this American style. And I get it. However, this is a freaking final. Okay, this is a final. I don't care if this competition has no prestige. To me, this is much bigger than the Gold Cup this year. You know why? Because in the Gold Cup, nobody has their their strong first team. None of the big dogs are going to have their first team because it is right in the early crucial stages of the European preseason. Any European-based player is not going to be there. Liga Emekis two years ago had a hard, you know, they, their clubs did not want to release players for the Gold Cup due to when it was played. Or maybe it was four four years ago. Um, and it's it's when the Gold Cup falls on this year before the World Cup in the middle of World Cup qualifying. It ends up being a a somewhat reserved tournament, and then they play it you know in July, which is not a good time of the year for an international tournament. It's the same problem with the Olympics, to be honest with you, and why I don't why I don't put much importance on the Olympics because top players are not allowed to be there for the most part. So we already know the United States is going to the Gold Cup next month with the mostly. MLS roster. This was a mostly European-based roster. Um, very few MLS selections in this team. So this is much closer to the first team, and this is what you get. This is the first competitive action that he's got under his control that Greg Berhalter's got, and this is his real only chance to put them together and to figure out what his best team looks like. In a pressure-packed situation. And it's amazing how the United States can play within the borders of its country. And absolutely, you might as well have put this game in Mexico City tonight. Uh, you had, and I know CONCACAF, you know, uh, they look for the big crowd. They, they, they select these locations based on 
where they're going to sell out. And where they're going to sell out is where there's a large Mexican population. This time it was Denver, Colorado instead of Chicago, instead of Los Angeles, instead of San Francisco, instead of Dallas. This time it was it was uh, Denver. So that much. Now you add in the fact that they're playing at altitude. That takes away any home advantage the United States might have. Any Mexican-based player plays at altitude every match, okay? Yeah, Mexico's European-based players are, are not acclimated to the altitude anymore. They've been in Europe for, for a long time, most of them. But they still have more experience at, uh, at altitude. They know what's going to go through their body. They know the feelings they're going to feel. They know the shortness of breath, what it's going to feel like, the muscle fatigue. So, yes, this match was played within the borders of the United States of America, but make no mistake, this was a home match for Mexico. So, this was a big, big challenge and a big ask for this team, and they, this United States side proved they were up to the task. But they fall behind. John Brooks also goes into the referee's book in the 10th minute. That is enormous because there's a lot of football left to be played at that point. And as we saw, unlike in the semifinals, here in the final, there is 30 minutes of extra time. In the semifinals, it went straight to penalty kicks. So right away, John Brooks, the center back that many MLS fans think doesn't have a place in this team anymore for some reason. Um, they think he's 38 and not 28. He's now facing the prospect of playing at least 80 minutes on a yellow card, possibly 110 minutes. But you know what? He is a very, very intelligent central defender. And you didn't see him get into trouble anymore. Same can't be said about his center back partner. The same can't be said about him. I thought that Mark McKenzie was worthy. You know, he had fouls worthy of yellow cards on at least three occasions. He only saw it once. Same goes for Hector Herrera, by the way. He should have been sent off. Um, He should have seen at least his second yellow card. But um, the referee, the Panamanian referee tonight, he was he was um, balanced. I don't think he was good. I wouldn't say he was good. He let a lot go, which is fine. But um, I think he was also afraid of making decisions. He let the VAR make the decisions for him. And, uh, well, the, the they got the calls right. That's what I'm going to say. I know two DNAs. Uh, broadcast team didn't agree with the penalty kick, and we'll get to that when we get to the second half in just a minute. They didn't agree with the call. They they had no problem with the call. You know, the penalty kick, though, went in Mexico's favor. And then the CBS team had the opposite the opposite attitude. They they thought that the they couldn't even believe. Taylor Twelman tweeted, uh, and, and he wasn't on TV tonight. He's, he works for ESPN, but he tweeted that he couldn't believe that the, that the U.S. penalty went to, went to VAR. He thought it was a clear penalty. I think they were both close. I think the referee on now looking back and having hindsight being 2020, the referee decided to let that he wanted to take a look at it on the VAR before he made his decision. I think I think he let play go and then he looked at it. Uh when you look at the VAR and I have to say CONCACAF does a good job of this. I don't say CONCACAF does a good job very often. There's very few things I think they do a good job of other than ripping people off, namely Mexican-American football supporters, for a lot of money, for more than, than than the value of the product. But on this one, 
when the referee goes to look at the VAR monitor, we get to see what the referee is looking at. When the referee rewinds, we get to see him rewind. We can understand how he came to this decision. And you can see in super slow motion that the contact was made on Pulisic's leg before the other leg, and I can't remember anymore who the Mexican defender was. Um, Before that happened, let me see if I have it here. It was... Looks the yellow card went to went to Chucky Lozano, but I think that was for dissent. But it, I can't, I don't remember right now which Mexican defender it was that committed the penalty. But you can see that there is a split second where his left leg makes contact with Christian Pulisic's body before his right foot clears the ball at at game speed at, at, to the naked eye at live speed. It looked like he timed it perfectly. The VAR shows otherwise. The referee correctly points to the penalty spot. In my opinion, if you disagree, you're not wrong. Okay, you're not necessarily wrong. This was so close. And Charlie Davies said this on CBS, that when it's this close, and you've got to look at it from this many angles, well, VAR is only supposed to correct clear and obvious mistakes. If you've got to look at it that closely, it's clearly not clear and obvious. And I would agree with that statement, but that is not how VAR has been implemented since it's it's arrival. So I'm not surprised with either one of those being called penalties. And under the guidelines we play with today, like it or hate it, in this age of VAR, I expected both of those once seeing the replay to be, you know, ruled a penalty by VAR. And they both were. Now, in the 20th minute, we had a goal here and... Uh, Again, because these sites don't give me the the exact the exact names when when it wasn't a goal, but we had a goal from Mexico that was originally given. Hector Herrera with a brilliant cross, absolutely beautiful cross after playing a driven corner on the ground towards. I want to say it was towards Antuna, I believe, and Antuna plays it back on the first touch to Herrera, who changes his angle. Puts it on his right foot and whips in an in-swinging corner, and it was it was uh, it was Charlie Rodriguez, I believe, who got on the end of this header and headed it into the goal, appearing apparently making it two nil to Mexico. And I thought, here comes the avalanche. I said, oh, it's two nil. This is not good. We're we're just over twenty minutes in, but the referee then goes to the VAR, and it looked it did look offside to me on the original. On the original uh, feed, it looked offside to me. But the referee, John P.T., goes to the screen and verifies. It had to have been by a minimal distance, but Tim Ream does get himself pulled up far enough to put Rodriguez offside. And the goal is called back by the VAR. And this was a breath of relief. Uh, Pressure alleviated from the United States, while at the same time, a deflating decision for Mexico. And I think the game took a different tone after that call. Mexico's adrenaline and Mexico's Mexico's just intensity dropped off at that point. They felt deflated. You could tell. And this is the part of the game where I'd be more okay with the United States trying to play out of the back now. The original 
rush of adrenaline from Mexico in the high press. They press very well. They press with their lines. So they press with the first line. If you break that through, the next thing you know, the next line is pressing. Okay. I thought early on the United States should have played with it less, should have played a few longer balls, relieved pressure, put the ball in a less dangerous part of the pitch, and then played from there. But their intent on playing out of the back, they're playing these short goal kicks. And again, the one that was insane was where the defender, I think it was Mark McKenzie, steps on it inside the goal area. So it's now a live ball. And then it's on Zach Steffen's foot, and he's not doing anything with it. And Chucky Lozano is pressuring, and he almost takes it right off of Zach Steffen's foot, you know, less than six yards from the goal mouth. But um, it was it was not good to, to play under pressure to try to play that cute. Now you hit the 25-minute mark or so, and that adrenaline now is worn off, and the match is settling into the tempo and into the pace it's going to follow the rest of the way. Uh, and that's when you can start to try to connect passes and try to possess more. Okay, Mexico, again, like I said, basically playing at home. They have the crowd in their favor. They're going to be amped up on adrenaline. You have to survive that initial rush before you try to be cute, before you try to build. The United States didn't do that, and they surrendered a goal, and they almost didn't, didn't, uh, they almost didn't survive. They almost went down 2-0. But finally, just moments later in the 27th minute, the United States gets a corner. Pulisic takes it. It finds the head of, I want to say, I want to say it was John Brooks that got on the end of it. I could be wrong. The header goes off the post. And fortunately, Uriel Antuna, uh, he he leaves Gio Reyna onside. So he's the player marking the near post, Uriel uh, Uriel Antuna is. He's covering the near post. The corner kick's coming from the U.S.'s right side, Mexico's left. Okay. And what happens is he does not pull up once the ball is headed. So the ball is headed off of the post, comes back. He's standing on the goal line, and he's leaving Gio Reyna onside. The rebound falls right to Gio Reyna's foot, and the 18-year-old becomes the second youngest American to score on Mexico. And you, we get a nice shot of, of Gio's parents in the crowd, Claudio and Danielle Reyna, both former U.S. internationals in their own rights. And it's 1-1, and at that point, I'm like, all right, we got a match here. We got a match here, and I was excited. And that took us, you know, that'll take us to halftime, 1-1. And it's anybody's game at that point. The U.S. had made plenty of mistakes, don't get me wrong. They were sloppy. They were careless at times. Uh, the decision-making left much to be desired, but at the end of the half, they're in it. It's 1-1. We come out for the second half, okay? And we have Kellen Acosta booked in the 49th minute as he's slowly coming into the match, but at first, you know, he's still not having a very good match, in my opinion. But what we do see is we see Burhalter make a little bit of a, of a change that I noticed, and that is that uh, rather than in a true double pivot, I think Acosta dropped into a more holding role while Weston McKinney pushed up into a more box to box role. Much more natural role for Weston McKinney, much closer to what he does at Juventus. And I think that gave the United States a better cover. I think it gave them better dimension. 
And it also provided the United States with a partner for Christian Pulisic that can get closer to him. All right, so Weston McKinney starts playing closer to him, and now they can combine. And they start to combine, and it gets to be some nice football here as the two teams start to combine. At the hour mark, uh, Greg Berhalter decides that's enough of Serginho Dest at the left back. Although the U.S. momentum did start with him, and I, ma- I did make that note that he made a nice play here. And I'm going to pull up the exact minute when he did it. It's it's in my notes, the few notes I did take. It was in the 18th minute back in the first half when Dest made a nice run down the left. Okay. But that's really all Dest brought to this match. Unfortunately for him, it was not a good day. He played a lot more as a left-sided midfielder. And my guess is the switch I started to notice probably happened earlier. The switch of Acosta dropping to a truer number six role. It almost looked like they went to a diamond in midfield and left Dest on the left side. Now, he... uh, Not comfortable in that role. Okay, He, He did not play his best game. At the hour mark, that was it for him. And on came Timothy Weah. And I said right away that this is good. Okay, we're going to play 4-4-2 now. Um, I could see that we were going to move Tim Ream out to the left back. Weah was going to play either as a left or a right-sided midfielder or up in the attack. He can play all those positions. And we're going to see the United States try to go forward and try to win this match. The commentators thought that he was going to play as a left wing back, which I... Didn't think so, but I'm gonna be. I'm the first to admit I don't know this team as well as I probably should, and perhaps this is something he's done before. And I didn't watch as much of the French league this year as I watched other leagues, so maybe this is something he did at Lille. But he did not play as a left wing back. He went and played as a right as a left midfielder, and even found himself playing on the right shortly thereafter, with Tim Ream jumping out to left mid. Uh, to left defender, excuse me. And then in the 66th minute, we got two substitutions for Tata Martino. Mexico sends on Luis Romo. He replaces Charlie Rodriguez. Charlie Rodriguez, the man from Monterrey, of course. And then Club America's Henry Martin comes on for Tecatito Corona. That's it for Corona. Corona took a number of hard tackles in this match. And... Because he's a Porto player, I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed seeing the grimace on his face. You know where my club loyalties lie. And I thought Yedlin took a real nice swipe at him. It took a yellow card for that. And I honestly thought the United States, when this match started, should have come out with the hard tackle right in the beginning. Uh, that's how I would have liked to seen this match start. That's not Berhalter's way. I understand that when you want to be a team that wants to control the ball and wants to possess, you usually don't like to do things like have needless fouls to give possession away. But I think in a big, in a derby like this, because that's what this is, okay, it's a classico, it's a derby, whatever the word you want to use, it's a rivalry match. I think you send a nice message early, especially the way Mexico has had their way with the United States in, in recent uh, years. I think you come out and and you, you lay somebody out in the first minute because the referees are much more forgiving in the first minute than they are in the 10th or the 20th or the 30th, etc. Um, the United States didn't do that, but then you started to see them get a little more chippy and to show a little bit of attitude. I like that Tecatito comes off now. He he's He's physically beat up in the 67th minute. And 
for the United States. They go to the bench just a minute later. Burhalter makes a nice, a nice counter move as on comes comes Pefik. Okay, Pefik will replace. Josh Sargent, again, you don't get much in terms of number nine play from Josh Sargent. I think he made good runs, and I think defensively he was good in being the first line of defense, but you just don't get the goal-scoring opportunities from him. He had one, I think, that was decent, uh, that was saved by Ochoa, and then he had another where Reyna served it across the face of goal, but just out of his reach when he was making his run a little bit late to the back post. But that was it for Josh Sargent. And that was it for Zach Steffen one minute later. So what happens here is Steffen comes out nicely, picks up the ball, looks to restart it quickly, and takes a a funny step, a real funny step, and goes down. You can hear the Mexican fans booing this. They think I think they think here's that verb again. They think Zach Steffen's about to Concacaf them because it does look like a Concacaf play. And uh, I think the United. I think that. They thought he was play acting, but quickly he tried to get up, tried to walk it off, and he quickly fell. He went back down again in pain. Uh, it was his left knee that they were working on, and it looks like he did something by himself. And unfortunate, and I hope that Zach Steffen is all right because Zach Steffen needs to establish himself. He needs to get a loan or a transfer away from Manchester City because he needs to play if he wants to be the United States' goalkeeper at World Cup 2022. And if he wants to be the starting goalkeeper in World Cup qualifying, because I'm going to be honest with you, if I am Greg Berhalter, especially after what we saw from this guy later on, and if Zach Steffen's not playing week in, week out, then Ethan uh, Ethan. Horvath is my goalkeeper in, in in World Cup qualifying. You need your goalkeeper to be sharp. You can't afford to bring in a, a rusty goalkeeper in World Cup qualifying. On the road, no less, in CONCACAF. We hear about it all the time. But, um, yeah, you're going to get CONCACAF otherwise, as I like to say. So, unfortunately, we see the goalkeeper switch. But in the 78th minute, Tata Martino makes his best move of the match. As he sends on Diego Lainez, who I thought could very well have been a starter. He gives he's so explosive, the former Club America star. He is a guy that at Club America I loved watching play. He's now at Real Betis in La Liga. And he replaces Uriel Antuna. And in the first minute, with essentially his first touch, he receives the ball from Chucky Lozano. I said he was non existent, but then again he picks up an assist here. As Diego Lainez, but he does it all himself on the dribble, coming from the right to the left on his left foot, creates enough space, and he beats Tim Ream. And this is when it really became evident that Tim Ream cannot defend this this guy one on one, and he fires a left footed shot that goes through Mark McKenzie's legs after Ream couldn't block it, and Hover, uh, Horvath saw it way too late. And by the time Horvath dives for it, that ball is in the back of the net. Mexico takes the lead again, 10 minutes from full time. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, even before Mexico scored this match, I, I had no, I had very little expectation. I'm sorry, Mexico went ahead here. Uh, even before they went ahead, I had little expectation in this match. I just wanted to see the United States put on a valiant performance. I wanted to see progress from this team. And as the match played out and as the United States started to play better and better and as they grew in influence in the match and they started to impose their game on Mexico, 
I said to myself, now I'm going to be really disappointed if they don't win this. Um, it almost looked like I was, you know, over the course of this match, this team grew up before our eyes, in my in my opinion. And when this ball went in, though, I said, oh, man. I really said, here we go. We're getting CONCACAFed, <laughs> as I use that verb again. Um, it's not really, it's only a CONCACAFed if it's a bizarre play. This was a nice play. It was a good substitution by Tata Martino. And he, you know, a good a good mention made by the commentator on CBS, by Maurice Adu, as he said that Tata Martino's faith in players was rewarded in this match. He he put his faith in Tecatito Corona to put him in the starting lineup, and he scored. And then he puts his faith in Diego Lainez to come off the bench and make a difference, and he scores within a minute. Both of them scoring in the first minute on the pitch for each of them and with their first touches, essentially. But the United States, once again, all the credit in the world to this team does not drop their head. Most teams would give up at this point. They'd say, we made a good effort. We lost our goalkeeper. You know, uh, we we were unfortunate. We were unlucky. We gave up a goal on a horrible mistake in the first minute. And it looked like it was going to be, you know, a good effort, but too little too late. or too I shouldn't say too little too late, but it was going to be, you know, just not enough in this one. But in the end, 82nd minute off a set piece. Now, we had seen the United States on these set pieces uh, deliver. Uh, The first goal came off a set piece. Then we saw Ochoa make one phenomenal save on a header from Weston McKinney. And for a guy who he's he's not short, but he's not he's not incredibly tall either. I'm looking up right now. Well, I should take that back. He he does not look 6'1", but he's 6'1", Weston McKinney is, as I have him up here on SofaScore. He's actually 6'1", and that is a good height. He doesn't always look it when he's on the pitch, but uh, he gets good ups here. He gets some good height. And earlier, he had got on the end of one, beating Edson Alvarez, who for me, Edson Alvarez is one of my favorite players on the Mexican team. I love his game. He can play as a center back. He can play as an old-fashioned stopper. He can play in midfield. I saw him do it all for Club America. I follow Club America pretty closely. He's doing it all for Ajax now in the Eredivisie. And here he got beat, or just before this, he got beat by uh, Weston McKinney in the air on a, on a corner kick. That was before this one. But here in the 82nd minute, it is Weston McKinney again. This time he gets on it, and this time he beats uh, Momo Ochoa, Memo Ochoa. Ochoa gets a hand to it, but he can't keep it out. McKinney gets too much power on the header, and it goes into the side netting or the inside side netting, and it is 2-2, two to two, and I am psyched at this point watching this. And I said, what? At this point, I tweeted on my Mr. Benfica Twitter that I started uh, discussing this match with the, some of my followers there, which uh, I've been discussing football with them all week. It's been fun. I usually don't tweet during matches. Part of the reason is because it seems like my stream is always behind everyone else's, and I get spoiled. I get spoilers that way. But I've been I've been discussing a lot of matches this week between the Euro under twenty ones and now this match here with some of my followers and and. Um, yeah, I, I said that this goal got me excited. And this team over the course of this match won me over. I'm very interested in this team again. I'm, I, I've said that they've lacked, they have all the this, this skill, and I thought they lacked the character, but they gained it in this match. And they, all what they needed was a big match against a big rival in a big situation. Say what you want about this CONCACAF Nations League. I like it. I think that 
this should replace the the second gold cup of the of the four year cycle. Okay, I think the gold cup of the year after a World Cup is good. The second one to me is redundant and shouldn't be there, and it's just a money grab. But you can you you can make a money grab here with this Concacaf Nations League, and still fund Concacaf that way and hand it out to the seventeen thousand nations and islands that make up Concacaf. Um, but this was a good goal. The assist came from Gio Reyna, and Gio Reyna in this match I thought was very very good. He had himself a really good match. Um, again, I thought. Pulisic's influence grew as the match went on. He grew into a leader. People say that he's not comfortable with that leadership role. You need to understand, Christian Pulisic just finished what was like a 60-match season played in one month fewer than than normal. He just, I know he only played a half hour or 20 minutes last week in the Champions League final, but he went through the emotional ups and downs. That is a shock on the nervous system. I've talked about this before, and the average fan does not understand the shock on the nervous system after a high-pressure situation like a Champions League final, and you inject him into another high-pressure situation here. He didn't, you know, he maybe didn't look very good against Honduras, and I think this team is, and this coaching staff is trying to figure out where best to implement him so that they can get the most out of him. They're playing around with different things. The team, these players are still getting used to each other. But as this match went on, he got better and better. And he started, and I like I like Pulisic coming out of the midfield, running forward versus playing as a second striker. But he can do both. And here, you know, Reyna also in this match was just so good. I thought he, he grew up before our eyes in these 90 minutes. Not perfect, but just so persistent and so confident. And he believes in himself. And he gets a goal and an assist in such a big match for an 18-year-old. And this is his real welcome to CONCACAF was, was these two matches. I think he and McKinney and even Pulisic, who should already know this, but they forget. They are not playing in Europe when they play these matches. They're going down far too easy. They're not going to get these calls in CONCACAF. And I think they, they really need to remember that. And this needs to be drilled home by the coaching staff. When you play in these matches, you have to stay on your feet. You have to play the whistle. Because you're not going to get that benefit of the doubt you get in Europe. Okay? I think the referees in Europe call the game a different way than they do in CONCACAF. I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm saying they're, they are two distinctively different ways to call the game. But McKinney's goal here changes everything. And uh, Mark McKenzie gets a foul in the 86 goes in the book and keep that in mind because he's going to have another foul in the extra time where I thought he should have been sent off. He should have seen his, his second yellow. But in the 86th, after that foul, double substitution by Greg Berhalter, a good substitution. Legette comes in. Uh, Sebastian Legette comes in for Giovanni Reyna. Good game for Reyna, but probably gassed. Again, playing at altitude, something you don't do in Germany. So to get 86 good minutes out of him was good. And on, this is a good substitution, on comes Tyler Adams in place of Tim Ream. Uh, Adams plays himself a pretty good match. He may, he brings a lot. There was a lot of question whether or not he was going to play, whether or not he was fit. Um, I think the decision to not start him was a wise one because we saw that this match went 120 minutes. And to be honest, if you're Berhalter or Tata Martino for that matter, uh, your starters have to all be able to go 120 minutes because you may not be able to get them off the pitch. So that's why you see Tyler Adams come in at this point. 
So he this substitution tells me he's good for about 30 minutes right now. So he got what he had to get out of him. We see yellow cards to Hector Herrera in the 90th plus three for a stupid tackle. Okay, Horvath's coming out. He's sliding out. He's got the ball. And Herrera comes in very, very late in something I tweeted in a tackle. He could have only learned at FC Porto. As he and I got I got some flack from different people on that, and I, I guess they can't tell a joke when a when it hits him in the face. But Herrera goes in the book. He should have gone. He should have got his second yellow in the extra time for a tackle from behind that should have easily. He had his studs up. It could have even been reviewed for a red card. Probably wouldn't have been given as a red card, but it could have easily been reviewed for one. Um, but it was overall, you know, a decent. It was a good 90 minutes. I enjoyed this match thoroughly. And the referee blows his whistle after giving DeAndre Yedlin a, a yellow card in the 90th plus four. Um, we get we go to extra time. In the first extra time, we see a, two substitutions for, for Mexico. In comes Andreas Guardado. The, he was the captain in the semifinal. He replaces Hector Herrera. This is after Herrera should have been sent off. Tata Martino wisely gets him out before he does get himself sent off. And, and then we also see Tigres' Carlos Salcedo replace Hector Moreno. That's in the hun- both of those in the 100th and 101st minute. Five minutes later, DeAndre Yedlin is limping a little too much. Signals to the bench. And Greg Berhalter uses his last substitution. Bringing on Reggie Cannon, the Boa Vista uh, wingback, comes on for DeAndre Yedlin. A lot of people, myself included, thought Cannon was going to get the start in this one. In the 113th minute, or just before that, we get Pulisic's attempt to split the defenders. He gets clipped, as we said already. Uh, the referee, John Petey, goes to the VAR screen, and this was hilarious to me. And this is when it, this match got incredible. The CONCACAF level of it just went through the roof here. This looks so much like the Liga Mekis final that I'm at some point going to give you that episode of. And uh, you see Edson Alvarez trying to stop the referee from walking towards the monitor. And John Brooks comes in and John Brooks steps in front of Edson Alvarez and doesn't let him block the referee. The referee goes to the monitor, and he's got uh, he's got an assistant coach from Mexico walking with him, also trying to block him. Uh, one of the elements from the U.S. coaching staff comes over, tries to stand in front of the Mexican coach. The fourth official gets in there. Everyone's trying to let this referee. Everyone's trying to prevent this referee from looking at this on the monitor. This meant that Mexico knew this was going to be a penalty kick. Okay. Tata Martino actually puts his hands on the referee while he's trying to watch the video. The referee takes a break from watching and issues the red card to Tata Martino. He goes back to the monitor. The VAR referee is a Canadian. They're discussing it. And finally, he comes back in in Mexico again, pleading and pleading and pleading. But we see the referee make the box with his fingers, make the signal for VAR, points to the spot. And it's a penalty to the United States. And before Christian Pulisic can take it, well, Tata Martino is still on the bench. The fourth referee has to call over John Petey. And he 
And John Pitti goes over and he has to remove Tata Martino from the bench. And finally, in the 114th minute, after much delay, Christian Pulisic steps up. I'm going to tell you, I was nervous. You could see the grass was gone. To If you're Christian Pulisic facing the goal to the left of the penalty spot, exactly where Christian Pulisic is going to want to put his plant leg, that made me nervous. But the Chelsea star just pulls up with the captain on the night. And he just buries this thing in the top corner. He sends Ochoa the wrong way. The United States take the lead. And I really liked that Pulisic went right over to the Mexican fans and shushed them. This is something that should have been done. This is something they should. They This team needs to draw motivation from the fact that within the borders of their own country, they are always the away team against this rival. And I think, you know... Pulisic rips his shirt off, runs to the corner, runs within the throwing distance of the Mexican fans. The entire team is with them. They get a beer shower. The Mexican fans throw all kinds of... It actually was disgraceful, to be honest. And I think the Mexican Federation should be fined and should be... I'm going to be honest. They should continue to play behind closed doors. They should have to play their first home match of World Cup qualifying behind closed doors for this, this behavior. But I don't think CONCACAF's going to discipline them because they're Mexico, and that's that. And uh, this is not me saying anything against Mexico. I'm a fan of Mexican football. Please remember that. But there's no place in, in this. You Can you imagine if this was anywhere else in any other team? Okay. And uh, unfortunately, a full cup of what looked like Coke hits... It, it hits Gio Reyna in the face because the entire bench emptied and was in this corner of the field. And maybe maybe they shouldn't have gotten so close to the fans. But yes, they were taunting the Mexican fans and they were getting a Coke and beer shower for it. But Reyna goes down after being hit in the face by what looks like a cup that had some velocity. It looked almost full. And there was ice in it. It could, it could have very much. He looked a little distraught after being hit. But uh, the the trainers took care of him. Christian Pulisic gets a yellow for pulling his shirt off. And no fewer than a dozen fans are arrested. You can can see them being picked out by security. And I am not going to repeat what was being chanted by, I'm assuming, U.S. fans at those Mexican fans. I'm not going to repeat that. Um, Also disgraceful. And maybe CONCACAF should also should also discipline the USSF for this one because if you're going to if you're going to discipline Mexico for their chant this was a different insult for a different reason and also I agree has no place in the game especially in the current political context here in the United States it was very very ignorant and again I'm not going to repeat it but you can now imagine what you with some US fans Maybe they were just near a microphone and it was loud enough to hear. But what they were chanting at the Mexico fans who were being arrested, you can fill in the blanks as to what they were saying. Okay? Very, very inappropriate and unnecessary. And overall, both sets of fans really did some, some embarrassing, some things to embarrass themselves tonight. But we move forward to the... 117th minute. Out comes Edson Alvarez. On comes Orbelin Pineda. Tata Martino off the bench, and the but I'm sure still communicating with his assistants. 
and they make the last gasp for a draw. They looked like they had given up, but they get an opportunity here off a set piece, off a corner. The ball comes around. We get a shot on goal, and if if Mark McKenzie didn't see a yellow card for his tackle, I think it was on Herrera as well, or perhaps it was on Chucky Lozano. Um, minutes earlier, this could have been his second yellow as well. For me, this is a penalty. This is a clear handball, or handling the ball, I should say, uh, from the U.S. center back who had a very, very tough night. And I wish SofaScore or FOTMOB or one of these apps would would have posted player ratings because I think he would have. I would have been interested to see how the algorithm would have rated his performance. But the referee originally sees it. He's got a perfect view of it and says it's not a penalty. He then gets called to the monitor. And again, what I like and what we don't get in the European leagues is we can see what he's looking at. And we can see the VAR official in the booth and the body language and mannerisms that he is making and the the gesturing that he's doing towards the referee on the field. You can watch them rewind and rewatch the ball hitting Mark McKenzie's hand. The commentators thought that it was in a natural position, but I've seen enough football this year and outside of in a few countries, and I would say in the United States they probably don't call this, but I know in Portugal or Spain they do. In Italy they probably do. The ball hits the hand in today's game. That is handling the ball. Now they explain that he can't make his silhouette any bigger. This is why you see players today, defenders, defending with their arms behind their back because of this exact situation. He needs to be in control of his arm. Yes, it's in a natural motion, but yes, it makes him bigger. The ball hits his arm. He literally saves it. I am 100% um, in agreement that this is a penalty kick. Referee correctly points to the spot. Interestingly enough, though, and I'm going to criticize this. Andreas Guardado, I know he's the oldest and the most seasoned veteran on the team. But he wasn't even one of the five chosen to take a penalty on Thursday. Why isn't Chucky Lozano taking this penalty kick? Or Diego Lainez? You have stars. Stars rise to the occasion. I'm disappointed as a fan. In Chucky Lozano for not wanting this penalty kick. He allows Guardado to take it. And I had a feeling he was not going to finish this. And you could see that Horvath knew where he was going to go. Because he didn't guess. He he gave himself time to react. And it was not a good penalty. It was way too close to the center. Right in the reach of the goalkeeper. And the U.S. substitute goalkeeper comes up with the save of his career. As Andreas Cordero on the call on CBS said. And in the end, this was the difference. The referee blows his whistle for full time. The United States, the inaugural winners of the CONCACAF Nations League. And I am incredibly proud of this team. And I must say, they won me over again. I I have been pretty uninterested with the U.S. men's national team as of late because they're just rotating too many players. They never have what I think is their best best team together for different reasons. But then again, most national teams, that's hard to do. 
listen, the U.S. player pool is so open. Okay, I'm not going to say it's deep, but there's so many players that are of the same level. And then you have your upper echelon players. You have your Pulisic, your Reyna, your McKinney, your Musa, your uh, your Timothy Weah, who came into this match and was also very good. He made a difference in this match. The now three-time champion of the French League already at his young age. Um, they just, you have that upper level of player. You have the Serginho Dests. Not a good night for him tonight, but he's still a huge talent. Okay, and then you have a lot of guys at about the same level after that. And the difference between player 12 and player 40 for me is very different. There's a big difference from player 1 and 2 on your roster to player 40, but not from player 12. After year 11, I think I don't want to call it depth because I think it's a lot of the same type of player. But this was a phenomenal, phenomenal result for this team. And I think they grew up before our eyes. They, Pardon the phrase, but they went from boys to men. Okay? And I think they understood what it's like to play a competitive match for your country again. Some of them knew that already, but others, this was their first taste. And I have to say that I have reserved, well, let's say this. I've reserved an opinion. I've reserved to make an opinion on Greg Berhalter until this competition. Because for me, this is where his reign starts for real. And I'm not using next month's Gold Cup as a judgment against him because he does not have his first team. This is the one. And I didn't think he needed to win it. I think he his side needed to show progress and growth. And they showed that. Heck, over the 120 minutes, they showed growth. They overcame so many mistakes, so many poor decisions, like I said. And as the match went on, Berhalter also managed better. He made good tactical substitutions, better than Tata Martino. I'll even venture to say he outcoached Tata Martino in this one. Tata Martino had a little bit of Pep Guardiola in this one, uh, in him, in the sense of the Pep Guardiola from the Champions League final. He overthought it. He overdid it, overcoached. And it doesn't surprise me because he's from the same school of thought. He's from the Barcelona school of thought. He is a former assistant to Pep Guardiola. And it seems like he in this if I'm Mexico, I'm worried about this now. I'm worried when you get to the World Cup, he is gonna do this. Uh, he is gonna overthink things when you have Germany on the other side of the pitch or you have Spain or you have Brazil, Argentina, the clubs the the countries that have been an Achilles heel for Mexico, a club uh, a national team who very openly admits their goal is El Quinto Partido, the fifth match at the World Cup. They want to get out of the round of 16. They put so much pressure on themselves to do that. Um, you know, it's... it's and I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I think Tata Martino may do the same thing we see Pep Guardiola do in these high-pressure matches. They may be great managers over the course of a, of a campaign, over the course of a league season. In this case, over the course of what is going to be an eight-team qualifying round, uh, 14 matches in qualifying are going to be played between now and they're going to play, I think, next summer. They're going to play three matches per window. That means nine matches this fall, September. uh, Or maybe they're only going to play eight. I'm not sure. September, October, November. 
March, three matches. That's 12. So they, they're going to play through next summer, it looks like, in order to qualify for that World Cup. And um, if I'm Mexico, I'm very nervous. On 2DNA, Kikin Martinez pointed out that, the, that it was a very grave error, big error, moving Chucky Lozano to the striker role. He should have gone with Henry with uh, Mar- Henry Martin. I agree. Martin is the guy that should have played there. That's where he played last match. He's played there for Club America. Um, not having Chicharito in the team is a mistake. Not having Carlos Bella there is a mistake. You can't do anything about Raul Jimenez, but there's no guarantee you're ever going to get that Raul Jimenez that we all love again. So... If you're a Mexico supporter, I think this match exposed what you still have to worry about. First of all, you didn't get a goal against a Costa Rica team that continues to age. And I don't see as very formidable anymore. And I think Mexico should have been better in the semifinal. Uh, Tonight you got goals, but you also got goals based on some pretty bad mistakes. Okay, You capitalized on bad mistakes. You didn't really create those goals. I think the U.S. is, you know, John Brooks had a monster game at center back for the United States. I I do believe that. And I'll watch this game again, and I will listen to, you know, I'm going to, I DVR'd the postgame show into the NA. I'm going to get their perspective. But uh, I know they feel slighted by the referee. But at the end of the day, they got their opportunity as well, and their guy missed his penalty kick. So there is, there is you know, there is no complaint to be made, in my opinion, on their part. Let's look at some statistics before we go. All right. Possession, 52-48 in favor of Mexico. Total shots, seven, 10-7 in favor of Mexico. But a key one here, shots on target. The United States wins that battle 5-4. to four. Corner kicks, the United States at 6-4 to four for Mexico. United, I always consider this a win when you win the foul category. The United States had 16 fouls. And I think that helped them. They did get booked five times, but they managed to keep all 11 players on the field. I Like I said, I thought this, this match should have been 10 on 10 by the, by, the, by the first extra time. I thought both Herrera and McKenzie should have gone off. Um, each goalkeeper had two saves. That's the only stats provided by SofaScore. I wish there was more available to make more context of it. But listen... Finals are played to be won, not to be, you know, not not to be pretty. You need to score goals. I get into this argument with some listeners sometimes, and they may not even be listeners. They may just be Twitter followers. Uh, I don't subscribe that to the thought that I'd rather lose pretty than win ugly. I will take ugly wins every day. That is a feature. That is an attribute of a championship team. And you need to learn how to win ugly. You're not going to play well every match. That's impossible. And what happens is possession teams, and the United States, I think, learned this today. When you fall behind, possession teams tend to lack intensity. They tend to lack urgency. And at times, the United States in this match lacked urgency. They had patience, but they lacked urgency. And, of course, it's a happy balance somewhere, a happy medium between the two. But a lot of urgency lacking. A lot of just risky passes in the in their defensive third, sometimes in their own penalty area, which I didn't like, and I would like to see that reduced, especially against a pressing team. I can understand when you're playing against a team that's sitting in deep. 
But against a team that's going to press you, I'd like a little more intelligence or common sense in where you do the short passing. I understand that that's how they want to play, that that's how the manager wants to play this game. And he also has, like I said, the very daunting task of a developing. A, they want him to develop an American style. And he wants that style to be a possession style or at least a, a skillful style. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You just have to be able to go somewhere else when that doesn't work. Tonight, this team figured out how to do something else. They got their goals from set pieces. That is not a detriment to the play of this team. Set-piece goals count the same. And this United States team found a way tonight. They grew up, like I said. You're not always going to play well. You're not always going to win possession. You're not You're not going to connect 25 passes before you score a goal most of the time. When that's not there, you have to find a way. Tonight, they found a way. All right, it is 3 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States. I am tapping out at this point. Um... Thank you for joining me on this very special Monday edition of the Parking the Bus podcast. Normally, this space belong is going to belong to the Brasileirão Review, but very special occasion tonight. I wanted to get this out there. If I didn't do this now, I wouldn't do it. I will be back hopefully tomorrow uh, with a review of the Copa, the Liga Emekis final. Excuse me, the long-awaited Liga Emekis final. I got to get you a Brasileirão round, and I got. Another Mr. Benfica episode to do all before the Euro starts on Friday. I have no idea how I'm going to get these all done, but one way or another, they shall get done. All right. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll catch you in episode 42. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores.